Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Tasha Radel has the latest on the Zika virus. I take a closer look at the 2016 Music in the Zoo lineup, and Mike Grimm gives us the inside scoop on a voice familiar to Minnesota Twins fans statewide. But first, the battle lines over the state budget are official after Democrats in the Minnesota Senate this week rolled out their budget targets. MNN's Bill Werner joins us to assist with comprehension of all the politics. First of all, Bill, what are budget targets? Well, Scott, that's a term used all the time around the Capitol, and not a lot of people outside the building understand what it means. Basically, targets are an outline of the state budget, if you will, in which leaders set target spending numbers for each of the committees that deal with major categories of the budget, such as education, health and human services, public safety, transportation, and so on. As such, they often lay out distinct differences in approach between the House and the Senate, particularly when, as is now the case, one chamber is controlled by Republicans and the other by Democrats. There are a lot of numbers here, but we'll stay out of the weeds and focus on the general direction the Democrats want to go versus Republicans' preferred path. Republicans say the budget targets that Democrats released this week show that they want to spend the surplus. Senate Republican Minority Leader David Hand says it should be used for tax relief instead. The point about tax relief is that we are over-collecting the citizens of the state. We have a budget. We passed a very large budget last year. Now we're just adding $800 million plus to that spending. And we need to talk about how to reduce our tax burden on our economy so that the economy can grow, that we can produce more jobs, more economic activity. And some of us believe, I believe, that when you increase that uh, ability to earn more income, you actually see your tax revenues uh, increase a little bit. So I think that that uh, rather than focusing on how we can spend more of the money, really what we ought to be talking about is how we can provide some permanent tax relief for the people of the state of Minnesota. And if we're going to spend money, which we think there ought to be some spending, it ought to be for transportation. It ought to be to finish that bill that we had last year that we didn't get done. This other spending, to me, it's, it's just uh, more of the same. It's just reckless. It's irresponsible. And it is completely unfocused away from the priorities we talked about this session. Not surprisingly, Democrats have a different view, arguing that some additional spending is justified as long as it is one time and does not continue into future budget cycles. St. Paul Senator Richard Cohen argues the permanent tax cuts that Republicans want could throw the state budget into deficit at some point down the road. I found the budget forecast uh, for March to be disquieting. Uh, it shows that there is not an economic downturn, but certainly a leveling off. And the Senate's going to be very mindful of that. Uh, whatever budget we pass out of the Senate, uh, the combination of finance and tax will absolutely not, uh, based on the present forecast, not put the state in deficit uh, next year. Um, we don't know at this point what kind of tax bill the House Republicans will have, and this could well be a contrast between the House and the Senate that we will absolutely not pass budgets that, based on this forecast, will put the state in deficit. And we're going to be very mindful as to what the House Republicans do if we see that uh, coming through with their bills. In addition to tax relief, Republicans also want to use part of the surplus for transportation. Democrats warn that would take money away from other important budget areas, such as education and human services. Senate Republican leader Han responds lawmakers must prioritize. That's what we do as legislators. We have a pile of money every year. 
Our job is to set priorities and say what is the most important thing. What we've been hearing is that transportation is an important thing for the people of the state. We're trying to make it a priority. The Democrats are saying, no, we're not going to have any prioritization. We're just going to start raising taxes on everybody. That's bad thinking. That's thinking from you know 30 years ago. They ought to come into reality and recognize that there's not unlimited amounts of money. We have to set priorities. And then there's the issue of the bonding bill for state public works projects, the main assigned task of the legislature in even-numbered years like 2016. Speaker Kurt Dodd said last week when House Republicans unveiled their budget targets that he hopes for a significant part of the bonding bill to go for transportation projects. Senate Majority Leader Tom Bach says about that. The problem with that, and I'm not going to say I don't support some transportation bonding because we always have some money for local roads and bridges in it, but that's not a transportation plan. That is some one-time money to do some specific projects on a list, uh, and it's not a transportation plan to fix the, the infrastructure over the next 10 years. So, and I don't think they should try to fool people that somehow doing some one-time bonding or maybe, maybe some one-time general fund is somehow a transportation plan. It, it simply isn't. And uh, we feel pretty strongly about uh, that it's time to address the transportation infrastructure needs of the state in a, in a long-term way. The speaker will tell you, he agrees, we need six to seven hundred million a year for the next ten years. I've heard him say it. I've heard Representative Pepin even say it. Six to seven hundred million a year for the next ten years. So it, I think the good news is they've acknowledged the need and now it's a matter of figuring out where's the money and uh, there just isn't adequate general fund money to do that. Republicans disagree, reiterating it is a matter of priorities and setting priorities is the legislature's job. By proposing that transportation funding come not only from the general fund, but also borrowing in the bonding bill, they have linked two major issues of the 2016 session. Senate Democratic Leader Box says about that linkage? I don't see any linkage with bonding to anything, frankly. I, and I've actually told the state chamber that I think they're at high risk of trying to link a bonding bill to a tax bill or some other things. It, it's, it's just not related to anything. So. Uh, I, I think the challenge over in the House, the Speaker's got a tough job. I mean, uh, I think when they need that many Democrats, uh, the option to link things, uh, and I don't think they have a very strong hand to link things when they need so many Democratic votes to get uh, both transportation and, and bonding done. Senate Republican leader Han responds. I think the Democrats need to get focused on the priorities of this state and dedicate themselves to getting a transportation bill done that doesn't raise taxes and getting a tax bill done that does cut taxes. And then let's talk about bonding. And Scott, because of this clear difference in positions, many analysts predict the legislature probably will not get a significant transportation funding package done this session. Some pundits even say there might not be a bonding bill, which could have serious political consequences in an election year. And what those consequences are remains to be seen. We'll be watching in the weeks and months ahead. Thank you, Bill. More Minnesota Matters after this. You, my friend, have connections in the government. Yes, you. USA.gov the official source for government information on thousands of topics. And like any good connection, there's no telling where it can take you. Why, one day you're getting student loan information. Next thing you know, you need job hunting tips. Today's road construction info could have you searching for telecommuting ideas tomorrow. The more you use USA.gov, the more uses you'll find for it. Passport applications, for example. They've been known to lead to a sudden interest in travel advisories. Our new mobile apps will even update you on the go. 
So whether you have information to get or ideas to give your government, check out USA.gov. Who knows? Lottery results today could lead to retirement planning tomorrow. USA.gov. With the right connections, there's no telling where you can go. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Earlier this week, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention characterized the Zika virus as scarier than initially thought. MNN's Tasha Radel takes a closer look at this virus and what's being done to get ahead of it here in the U.S. That's right, Scott. Many people were left scratching their heads after federal health officials announced that the virus was scarier than first believed. So it got me thinking, who could I talk to to kind of untangle all of this? Joining me now is Dr. Michael Osterholm, Director of the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy at the University of Minnesota. Uh, Doctor, I guess my first question is, should we be scared? Well, first of all, the uh, relationship between the Zika virus infection in the Americas and a series of uh, different neurologic conditions, both in the fetuses and newborn babies as well as in adults, are clearly being uh, confirmed. Uh, This is something we suspected uh, very strongly even four or five months ago, and uh, the early predictions that some of us made are unfortunately all coming to pass. Dr. Osterholm, now you mentioned uh, these other neurological disorders that are affecting people like you and me. I really think this is causing a lot of unrest, well, at least for me anyway. Clearly, uh, the uh, serious consequences of Zika infection in the young board fetus is really very important. And I can't say enough about that. So that from that perspective, that is really the highest priority in terms of trying to to prevent that or to in any way, shape, or form reduce the risk. in next, however, though, we are seeing a number of, of neurologic conditions that are associated with Zika infection, including this condition called Guillain-Barre syndrome, uh, which is a type of paralysis that occurs that fortunately is reversible over time, but it can be fatal if you don't have uh, adequate medical care at that time. In addition, this new con- uh, neurologic condition that's just been described, the acute disseminated encephalomyelitis, is also another serious condition. So these two are real concerns for us. The, the point, though, is that the most immediate one is obviously protecting pregnant women and that unborn child. So let's say that I'm infected uh, with the Zika virus. Now, would that necessarily mean it's going to attack me and affect me? The vast majority of people who get infected with Zika actually have little to no symptoms at all, probably well over 80%. And so one of the challenges we have is is that how do you uh, basically alert the world to this problem and knowing that some of these people may be infected and actually transmitting the virus sexually, even though they don't appear to be sick at all. And knowing, though, that the real consequences are a very small number of the people who get infected, but the consequences are so great and the number of people who get infected is so large that it becomes a really serious public health problem. And that's what we have in our hands today. I know Congress recently passed a bill authored by our very own U.S. Senator Al Franken that actually accelerates development of vaccines and treatments against Zika. Some are arguing that this just didn't happen fast enough. Your thoughts? 
Well, first of all, let me just say that uh, almost 18 months ago, I actually gave lectures on why Zika would be coming to the Americas and what it likely could do based on what we were seeing happening in French Polynesia. And the reason we could make that prediction was the fact that we live basically in a solid waste world in developing countries, meaning that if you go there, you see all the plastic, uh, throwaway garbage that is a perfect breeding sites for these mosquitoes. And in particularly in the urbanized areas of parts of the Americas, uh, in Sao Paulo, Rio de Janeiro, places like that, up to 50 to 70 percent of the people do not have running water. Uh, and so they actually have to carry the water to their whatever living conditions they live in, in which, again, the, that water sits there and the mosquitoes actually can breed in it. So this was really a time bomb waiting to go off. It already had gone off with respect to dengue, another type of viral infection transmitted by this mosquito, and more recently a mosquito transmitted disease called chikungunya. And so this shouldn't have been a surprise. So in the real world, the thing we want to do most is source reduction. If we could get rid of the solid waste garbage of the developing world, or at least handle it differently, we could greatly knock down the risk of transmission of this virus. Ideally, you'd like a vaccine, but that's going to be years off. Even with vaccine work starting now, uh, it'll be some time before we see a, an effective vaccine. Thanks again to Dr. Michael Osterholm, Director of the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy at the U of M. As I mentioned earlier, Congress recently passed a bill to speed up the development of vaccines and treatments against the Zika virus. Joining me now to explain the legislation is the bill's author, U.S. Senator Al Franken. What my bill does is incentivize companies to develop a vaccine or a treatment for uh, Zika and it does that by giving a company that does that successfully something called a priority review voucher. Now, what this voucher does is uh, put that company in the right at the front of the line the next time they have a drug that needs to be approved by the FDA. This is enormously valuable to those companies, and it's a uh, a big incentive for biotech companies and for drug makers. Uh, to find a, a, um, uh, a vaccine or a, a cure for for Zika, and I'm very pleased that the bills will become law. And this is one step; this is an important step uh, in the fight against Zika. But now Congress has to come together and find more resources to uh, prepare for and respond to this uh, very dangerous. Uh, disease. Thanks again to both of my guests, U.S. Senator Al Franken and Dr. Michael Osterholm, Director of the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy at the U of M. Back to you, Scott. Thanks, Tasha. I'm back with Music at the Zoo when Minnesota Matters returns. Last night we put on an epic light show. Yeah, we did. The crowd loved us. We love the crowd. Wait, but there were only four people out there. Yeah, but did you see their four faces? All eight of their eyes lit up brighter than ours. <sighs> and we're fireflies. Yeah, we are. Hey, that one girl, she looked like she'd never seen glow in the dark like this before. And we invented glow in the dark. Yeah, we invented it. And we're going to be out here every night rocking out our light show at a forest near you. Woohoo! So come check us out. Check us out. And bring your kid all ages show. Oh, but uh, don't bring any of those glass jars because they make us kind of nervous. Yeah, and I'm super claustrophobic. Whether you're rocking their world or they're rocking yours, some memories never fade. Come alive with the forest. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a forest near you. And discover other cool things to do when you go, like fishing, biking, or even camping. Visit discovertheforest.org. See you later. Yeah, see you soon. 
Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Don't you wish that getting your child to eat right, move more, and spend less time in front of a screen could be as easy as pushing a button? It might not be that simple, but you do have more power than you know. And you can maximize that power with proven strategies, tips, and tools from the National Institutes of Health's We Can, or Ways to Enhance Children's Activity and Nutrition program. We Can offers all kinds of resources, including fun recipes and activities the family can do together to show you the way to live a healthier lifestyle. We're not saying it's easy. We are saying that it can be done. Take the first step today. Call 1-866-359-3226 for a free We Can Parents Handbook. And be sure to visit the We Can website at wecan.nhlbi.nih.gov for free information, too. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. The 2016 lineup for the Music in the Zoo series was just announced this week, and several big-name artists with local ties are among the acts performing at the outdoor Apple Valley Amphitheater. I recently spoke with the person who helped set it all up, Patricia McLean. One of the first things I noticed when the lineup was announced is that there's a strong local flavor to some of the acts that are performing this year. Is that something that was done intentionally, and how did you choose some of these acts? Absolutely, it's intentional. I think um, the late Sue McLean had a great loyalty to develop these artists. And Carmar Superstar, Morris Day, Jayhawk, Soul Asylum, to mention a few in this year's lineup. And we do try and sprinkle in local artists um, in past years as well. But again, very loyal to developing these local artists. It seems like it spans a, a, a variety of different genres, even locally. I, I would imagine that each year, based on the lineups that I've seen before, diversity is one of the, the key things that you strive for in, in setting up the agenda each year? Absolutely, and that's not just with the local artists. It's with um, the high-level, national-level level talent as well. Um, we've had you know, country, blues, all sorts of different genres that... We cover, we'd like to get a different audience out there, um, get new peoples out to experience a concert out at the Minnesota Zoo. It's an incredible experience there, and we try and get as many people from different genres and different music tastes as we can. And Patricia, for our listeners here who haven't maybe seen a show or haven't been to music in the zoo, can you kind of paint the scene for them a little bit and what they might experience? I myself have been there several times, and what I enjoy about it is the the intimacy of the venue, even though it's outside. And that's a very um, common way to describe it. It is an intimate evening, live music under the stars. The amphitheater holds 1,400 folks. You can see the lake to the right of the stage. I like to say when you can see... Willie Nelson's guitar strings, <laughs> you've got a pretty good view. There's not a bad seat in the house, yeah. and it, it is very intimate. When you are proposing to artists, how do you sell them on playing music in a zoo, which is, it seems to me to be somewhat unique? It is unique, and we do get to know, these agents get to know the venue on the folks we have back, and the, there's a network that shares a successful experience in what we call a jungle Jurassic Park type backstage area and uh, we also say if we can someone like Willie Nelson we can make this work production wise and experience wise if he can do it you can do it Um, but the agents 
that we do work with quite often are familiar with the venue, and um, we still do have to sell this venue to some of the new folks we have out, and um, we do a pretty good job of that. We talked about a few of the local acts that are in the lineup for 2016, but we've also got some very well-known national acts as well, and maybe for listeners who don't know who's in the lineup, could you could you name a few of those folks? Sure. Um, Blondie, Trombone Shorty, Ziggy Marley, Grace Potter, Case Langveers is a, a package, Katie Lang, Nico Case, that um, we're excited, Bruce Hornsby and the, and the Noisemakers, our fan favorite Mark Cohn comes, Every year it's his 25th anniversary out at the Minnesota Zoo. George Thorogood, the lineup's pretty pretty diverse. And I would say sometimes as unpredictable as animal behavior can be, weather in Minnesota can be as well. And so what's the policy for uh, weather-related, uh, if there's bad weather, what happens then? Well, we can't control the, re- the weather when you buy a ticket. It is rain or shine, and loyal fans and music listeners Oftentimes stay if it's a sprinkle through the through the show, but if there is hazardous weather, inclement weather, we do have a policy. We do evacuate the amphitheater. It doesn't happen very often, but those loyal fans will um, stay for the show, and the artists are protected under the stage. Is there a particular show that's happened over the, It's I think it's been 25 years that the shows have been going on in the zoo? 24 years. 24. Yeah. Is there a particular show that uh, that you've seen that stands out in your mind? I'll have to say Willie Nelson. That was a personal favorite. It was just a emotional, moving experience. It was a great performance. That's been my favorite. My new favorite, who I hadn't uh, seen much before, is the Mavericks. They'll be back this year, and they're a fun get-up-and-dance type band, so they're a lot of fun. Is there an interesting story behind how this came to be, that there was going to be music in the zoo in the first place 24 years ago? Well, I have to credit, um, for those that don't know, my aunt Sue McLean, who has been a promoter in this market for 40 years, passed away three years ago, and I stepped in to this role as CEO three years ago. So it was her genius that put artists in non-traditional type venues, and this is a great example of that. And it takes a lot to put on a show there, production-wise, but she was all about the music and thought she could get the artists there, the people would come, and they did. And Patricia, tell me, uh, when do tickets go on sale? They go on sale April 23rd, and you can go to our website, sumaclean.com backslash zoo. Uh, you can buy them in person at the Electric Fetus in Minneapolis, and also you can go directly to etix.com or charge by phone with etix. All right. Very good, Patricia. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I'll be back with MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm when Minnesota Matters returns. Yeah, I can take a hint from you. I can take a little hint from you. I'd run away. I'd run away with you, baby. Who might you save? Your mother, your father, your husband, uncle, and son. Learn fast, F-A-S-T, the sudden signs of a stroke, and you could save your friend, your best friend, teacher, boss, coach. F, face drooping, A, arm weakness, S, speech difficulty, T, time to call 911, F-A-S-T, face, arm, speech, time. That's F, face drooping, A, arm weakness, S, speech difficulty, T, time to call 911. 
The sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in the recovery of... Your neighbor, the waiter, a fellow shopper, a total stranger, grandmother, grandfather. So learn FAST, the sudden signs of a stroke, then pass it on, because you never know who might save you. Your wife, your colleague, teammate, mother... Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Minnesota Twins season is underway, and one of the rights of summer is listening to the games on the radio. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm sat down this week with one of the popular hosts on the Twins radio network. Scott, Chris Atterbury just began his 10th season as the pregame and postgame radio anchor on Twins Radio. Producer Mark Janoski and I have been together since 2007. This is our 10th year together. We are like an old married couple, and it's almost like I kind of know it scarily. I know what he's thinking. He knows what I'm thinking. So he shoulders a lot and shields me from a lot of deals. Uh, 7 o'clock game, I'll get here probably around 2 o'clock. Um, we'll have talked the night before when we left the ballpark about what we wanted to get accomplished. You always have to work ahead. So we're not only working on getting into the clubhouse when it opens at 3.30 to get sound for that day, but we're working ahead on stories and pieces that we're going to use even up to a week out, especially if there's like a long road trip. So we'll spend a lot of time standing around and waiting in the clubhouse, get the right guy, get out on the field, get your batting practice, uh, you know, and try to catch guys there. We try to make a concerted effort to go down and see guys on the other teams. Um, and you gather up all the sound, and then you filter it through, and you put your story together, you put your show together, uh, and then you hit the air at 6.30 um, after a quick consult with Danny and Corey. And then during the game, I'm, whether I'm doing the play-by-play upstairs or I'm down here, I'm, I'm following the game the same way. I'm, I'm keeping the scorebook. We're making notes. We're throwing ideas back and forth about who we want to talk to after the game, what stories we're, we're pursuing, what are the biggest plays of the game, what are we going to talk to Danny about after the game. So it's a constant deal until you know 30 minutes after the final out when we finally uh, start thinking about the next day. <laughs> and, and then that, it just kind of goes on and on. But it's a good thing. My favorite thing to do is to sit in the dugout, during the tail end of batting practice in a mostly empty stadium, talk to the trainers, talk to players, talk to coaches. Um, that's my favorite little 40-minute window of every day. Are you a one-man research team? Because you, what I like is a lot of times in a post-game show, especially I'm driving home from the game, and you'll come up with some unique thing, like some pitcher hasn't done this since 1986 or something. How do you how do you come up with all these nuggets? I, I'm not allowed to do much of that. <laughs> I, I, we're real lucky. Gino's on the other side. We have an intern with us every night. We have a board op, and they're, they're guys that you would know. John Folke used to be in here a lot, who does such a great job with the Wolves and the Lynx. Cal Soderquist is in here. Uh, so we get the benefit of a lot of guys who come at it from a very different angle. Drew Halverson for years was kind of our, our go-to, and he's the guy who kind of mastered baseball reference before it became mainstream, which really helped us out an, an awful lot. I'm at the point now in year 10 where I just sit here, if you ask the other guys, yeah. and I'll say, hey, what about this? When was the last time that happened? And I like to think of myself as the idea guy. And then I let them chase it down, uh, and they would tell you, uh, to a man, even the guys we just hired, that I actually don't do anything. Um, so I don't know. That's The truth is somewhere in the middle. Well, when you're around for 10 years, you, you've earned that right, right? Just think about some of these guys in the big leagues that have been around for 40 and 50 years, right? Well, when you get to that point, you can just tell everybody exactly what to do. Uh, over the years, you've done a lot of neat pieces. Do you have a favorite one or two that, that you've, you've put together for, uh, for a show? It's a really good question, um, and we do because we always have to change it. You know, we did one year where we did something called the road to the show in our pregame.
game once a week where we see these guys and we assume, you know, big leaguers, they take a lot of guff, right? Like, hey, he's terrible. Well, the, the worst major league player is still one of the best, like 18,000 in the history of all time right. to do what they do. Um, and so we wanted to get into kind of how they became big leaguers because everyone has a story and I think their stories are really interesting. So that whole season was really neat to me. A guy like you probably forgot about him, Dusty Hughes, who was going to a junior college, and he was supposed to be a position player, but he got rear-ended at a stoplight on the way to his first practice, and then the coach didn't believe him that he'd been in an accident, and he made him go run with the pitchers, and he ended up being a big league pitcher. <laughs> now, stuff like that. Uh, we did one for years called Tools of the Trade, where Nick Punto taught me how to make a shaving cream pie. That one has always stuck yeah. with me. Um, and so we've done some really interesting bits. This last offseason I thought was real fun when we would talk to guys on a show called Deep Cuts about – um, kind of who they were off the field. You know, Trevor Plouffe talking about BMX racing and, and being a pool man and Gene Glenn sitting in a deer blind with Gene Glenn, you know, fun stuff like that. So uh, we've had a lot of them, and those would be just a few that kind of float to the top. Last question, anything new or unique this year that we can look forward to seeing as the year moves along? You know, one of my favorite things we're doing this year, we're doing a couple new things. One is there's a great influx of talented young Latin players, and so often – are, you know, we do a great job on Spanish radio, Alfonso and Tony do a great job, but so often our English radio audience doesn't get as much from these guys who have a lot to give. They have a ton of, of insight and humor and, and stories of their own. And with Carlos Font now, the interpreter, every team has an interpreter, we're doing a pregame Spanish 101 feature nice. where not only does he talk to the guys in, in English and you, you get, you know, kind of a few questions, just typical fun questions, but then he has them translate like a baseball phrase. You know, so we get like Irvin Santana in Spanish. Uh, what would you say if, you know, John Ryan Murphy comes to the mound and says, let's give him the heater, you know, and he says in Spanish. So that's going to be one piece. And then it's the 25th anniversary of um, – of the 91 championship, we're going to revisit that every Friday through Tom Kelly's eyes, which is so unique because, I mean, TK is one of a kind, which is just, he's a treasure. And then the other thing we're going to try, something we lifted from the off-season show is, you know, we got this, this cabinet upstairs of original scouting reports. And we got Terry Ryan to crack it open, and we're going to play a game called Scout's Honor where we give you the direct verbatim quotes from the original scouting report of a past, present, or current, you know, twin, and then you have to guess, you know, you can tweet in like who you think right. it's about. So, you know, the Mike Grimm scouting report, you know, has a big arm, great heart, always battling, you know, something along those lines. That's Twins radio host Chris Atterbury on Minnesota Matters. Scott? Thank you, Mike. That's going to do it for this week. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.